DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Aaron Roderick, BYU passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Aaron, good morning. Good morning, guys. What's going on? Oh, we're just sitting here talking about a BYU offense that looks like uh, somebody got really good at video games and went back and selected the <laughs> easiest setting so they could put up bizarro numbers and just blow everything away. Is that what you've done? Have you reset the level on this video game? Uh, yeah, well, there's been some, some pretty good games this year where we're, um, you know, we're being pretty aggressive. and But it, it's been a three-year process. You know, we, we went all in. Most of the guys that are playing for us right now are in their third year in our offense, and we went all in with, with those guys, you know, in year one and kind of took our lumps and just tried to hang around and keep the games close. And then last year we – we got better, even though our record didn't show it. We knew we were getting a lot better on offense, and we could feel it. And we saw some, we saw a lot of progress. We had a couple of really disappointing losses last year, but also some wins that were that were good wins that showed us we were going the right way. And then we all kind of had a feeling we were going to be pretty good this year. I mean, none of us were popping off about it or anything, but we we had a, our staff had a really good feeling that we were going to be great on offense and. Um, so it's been a process and it's fun now that our players are seeing that what we've been preaching this whole time works if we all work together and do it the right way. So, you know, we've known you for a number of years. Your guy keeps it low key, doesn't draw attention to yourself, but you see Zach Wilson goes on Twitter. You probably saw it. Speaking of you, silent impact on the team's dedication scheme and passion are never talked about. Thank you for believing me and helping me evolve into the QB I've always wanted to be. And he puts a picture of you. It looks like you're at the Boise game and you're uh, after the game and you're uh, with him and all that. And as I say, you don't really tout your own horn. I mean, I'm not saying you're John Beck here, but what did that make you think and how did you feel when you saw that? <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely no John Beck, that's for sure. Uh, no, uh, I'm joking. I love John Beck. He has a great relationship. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, I didn't even hear. So I've kind of been avoiding social media this season as much as I can, and I heard, I didn't even hear about that until uh, I think it was a day and a half later after he posted it. I was really humbled. That was, that was uh, nice of him to say that. And that picture was uh, – I think we were the last two guys on the field after the game because um, I was actually arguing with the, uh, some of the Boise State people in the booth that the, that his uh, that that one pass was a touchdown pass. Like, hey, we, we've scored like five touchdowns on that play, and it's been a touchdown pass every time, and now you guys are counting as a rush. I argued with them after the game, just just uh, you know, just for him. You know, I just feel like I, I wanted to, I wanted to do that for him. And uh, anyway, so we were we were like the last guys on the field. And, I ran up to him and we had a good moment. It was it's been it's been fun uh, watching him grow and watching him grow as a leader. And I'm not surprised at all about how well he's playing. I think he's been a really good player the whole time he's been here. And um, he's just right now he's just really in control and he's got excellent play around him. That's been the biggest difference this year. Is the other ten guys on the field are are all executing at a higher level than they ever have. And, and um, so it's really allowing him to show show how good he is. So where is the most improvement happening? Because it's nearly perfect. You know, when you're completing 75% of your passes and you've got 22 touchdowns and two interceptions and you're throwing for 314 yards a game, they really are video game numbers. Has he improved that yeah. much? 
is the I mean his protection at times is yeah. awesome. Like he is waiting for guys to get downfield, and there is like you could just you could just take a pen and draw a perfect semicircle around him. And at the same time, he's got receivers and now a tight end putting up huge numbers. Where's the most improvement happening on the offense? Um, well, it's hard to pick just one area. I would say the first thing with with Zach. Um, he, you know, I know it's been said over and over how he hasn't been healthy, but I don't. You can't overstate how not healthy he was a year ago. I mean, he literally was on a very strict pitch count all the way up until the week of the Utah game, and I mean, limited throws in practice, and he was he was blooping the ball just to throw like a simple ten yard out route. He was throwing a rainbow and just trying to be quick with his feet and get it out on time. To get it there, and and uh, and then it got a little better and a little better as the season was going on, but not not uh, was never near what he was capable of. And then breaks his thumb, breaks his thumb making a tackle on his throwing hand, and comes back from that in four weeks. Which when he first did it, they told us it would be six weeks minimum, and he came back in four weeks and played with almost no flexibility in his thumb, and uh, and, and just wasn't himself. But he. he I think he earned a lot of respect from his teammates that he, he could have easily just opted out and said, I'm going to redshirt this year. Baylor, Jaron, go at, go, at, go at it, you know. And he, he played hurt, and I think his teammates saw how he played hurt. And even though it wasn't always pretty, he, I think he learned a lot about uh, just how to compete. And then, so then uh, I think that, the, like, the areas of improvement this year, I think every week people underestimate how good our receivers are. I think it's just, I think it's just Gunner and Dax just look like, your next door neighbor, you know, Boy Scouts, and uh, but every week people underestimate how good those guys are. They're 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 not just overachievers. They're really good, athletic, fast guys that make plays down the field. Um, our offensive line is is uh, we knew they were going to be good, but it, they've been even better than I expected. We we started I think I think we started nine or ten different guys this year on the line on the line. We've got depth there. Um, we've got versatility. With, a lot of those guys are multiple position guys, and uh, they're playing really well. And then can't say enough about Isaac Rex just stepping up. I mean, to lose a guy like Matt Bushman was devastating, and uh, Isaac has really stepped up, and the other tight ends have as well. But it's I think it's pretty apparent that Isaac's a special player, and and so and, and our running backs have all improved. So it's it's across the board. I mean, it's just been fun to watch and. Um, We've got good coaches on our staff, I think, that have done a good job bringing those guys, bringing those guys along, and then finding schemes that feature what they do well. And um, and then the last thing I would say is we made a conscious conscious effort that we were going to throw the ball down the field this year. I know people say that, and, and but we are, uh, you know, I made this comment in the media staff meeting one day and said I don't want to throw it more, I just want to throw it farther. And so we're doing that. We're we're taking our shots, and we're not afraid to be second and 10, you know, but we're going to take our shots and uh, we're landing more of them than, uh, uh, you know, than we have in the past. And, and uh, so it's been fun. So you talk about three years ago when you were taking your lumps and I think that you acknowledge that part of your success is due to continuity and experience. And so you're, you are where you are. So at that point, three years ago, was it just circumstantial, 
or was it a, a plan, hey, we're going to go with these guys knowing that there's going to be a payoff down the line? It was a little bit of both, but a lot of it was the plan from the beginning. I mean, Jeff Grimes, got to give him credit. The first staffing we ever had, he said, let's talk about what what characteristics do, do BYU football players have that we can build on? Like, what, what are we? Who, who can we be? What can we do better than other teams? And we all agreed that we could be more reliable than other teams. Uh, we got the, the type of kids that are reliable and you can count on them and they're going to do what they're coached to do. And, uh, and then we all agreed that we could be a big uh, physical team. And that's, you know, BYU teams of the past. You, know, you, you don't, you, some years you may have a great wide receiver. You might have an Austin Collie and some years you might not. You know, some years you might have a Jamal in the backfield or a Luke Staley in the backfield. Some years you might not. But BYU should always have a big physical offensive line. BYU should always have good quarterback play. And BYU should always be a group of guys that are reliable, that can execute what they're being asked to do. And so we that that was Grimey's, you know, initial first meeting we ever had. And it just so happened that that year we had some young guys that, were there and needed to play, and we just we just went with them. And I think uh, you know we're seeing that we're seeing that payoff now. And uh, well, what's really fun about it is this: still, almost all of them can come back. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of guys that are returning that can that can uh, you know it's, this this isn't going to slow down. I don't think anytime soon. You know that's true, but we've also uh, we've also talked to former BYU players who played in the NFL and said project these guys to the to the NFL, and they all think that there's a half dozen NFL guys on your team, and there could be more than that. So, how much have you been trying to use some of the time when you know you're ahead in the fourth quarter to bring guys along because you could be losing a lot of guys a little earlier than you expected? Yeah, we'll we'll have some guys go to the NFL, I'm sure, and but that's a good thing for the program. I mean, all, all those years I was at Utah, uh, we we had we'd lose guys to the NFL every year, and and uh, I thought, uh, first of all, I thought Kyle always did an awesome job of giving those guys advice, about, especially the ones who maybe had a chance to leave early. He always gave great advice to those guys, and uh, and then it would you know like truly in the best interest of the kid kind of advice, not just you know like hoping that we can win more games next year. He, he was always about the, the kid first. And I think, uh, I know Kalani will do the same thing with our players. Um, and then, yeah, we've been, we've played a lot of different people this year. We've had a lot of opportunities to get reps for guys that maybe they're not the starter right now, but they're close to the starter. I mean, we've got unbelievable competition at O-line. I mean, some, of the, some of the second team guys are just right there with the starters. And uh, that's, so we've been getting those guys in a lot. Same thing with at tight end. We've got depth there. We've got some good young players that have played a lot this year. Uh, Isaac's gotten the most, the majority of the attention, but there's three or four other guys. And, uh, Dallin Holker coming home from a mission soon, who started as a freshman. So uh, we're, we're working those guys in. And then the other thing is we've practiced a lot. I mean, we've, we've gotten more practice maybe than 18 in the country this year. And so that's been a good chance to get young players reps. And so, uh, same with some of our younger quarterbacks and stuff. We're getting reps in practice, but uh, here and there, you know, these bye weeks or, or whether they're scout team reps or whatever, they still add up. And so, um, I'm I'm excited about the future. 
So speaking of the future, I got a recruiting, a recruiting question that I wanted to ask you as far as it's somewhat of a double-edged sword. There's probably more LDS football talent out there than ever, but at the same time, some of it is going to other places. Stanford's got a number, obviously the in-state schools, and so you know the idea of recruiting the LDS kid is really just yeah. like recruiting any other kid. With the success that you're having this year, how much do you think that that can give you some more ammunition to maybe get more of that talent that is going to other places? Well, we hope it will, and uh, I think I think it will. I think also that one thing that kind of gets overlooked in recruiting is, um, you know, there are more good players in Utah than than Utah and BYU could possibly recruit every year, and. I mean, it's a, the number's too large to take them all. And I'm talking about good players, like Pac-12, you know, Power 5-level players. Uh, you know, and, and so you got you can only sign 25 players per year, and then you, you divide that 25 up into how many different position groups there are on the team. You're, you're usually talking about taking one or two guys per position group. And, you know, in a, in a, in a wild year, you might maybe take three linemen or, or three offensive linemen, or maybe a third receiver or something. Most years you're taking one or two guys per position. And then when you kind of break that down by which position groups are really thriving in this state and which types of, you know, guys are available, I don't think Utah is always just losing those guys to other Pac-12 teams. I think more often than not, they're going all in on the ones they really want, and sometimes it might look like they lost the guy somewhere else. And I think that's the same case with us as well. I mean, we we zero in on the ones that we think are a great fit for us. Uh, obviously, we have some other things that, you know, with, with our, our school being a private school, we have to make sure we're recruiting guys that want to be at BYU and fit. But also, uh, sometimes it's just like, you know, we only have a spot or two and it's this certain position and we really need that position. So we go all in on this guy. And there might be a really good player around around the corner that looks like, oh, how could you guys lose this guy? And it's just like, well, we didn't, we, we love him, but we didn't have a spot, you know. And I think that happens a lot more in recruiting than people realize. And so, yes, there are great players in the state that sometimes the in-state schools lose lose out on, but it's not always as obvious as it might appear. Aaron Rodder joined us, BYU passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. So as uh, the future looks bright, the present looks great, um, is there any part of you that ever says, I wish we could have played those three Pac-12 schools, I wish we could have played Minnesota and Missouri and just gone at that original schedule and see how things worked out? Yeah, we all wanted to play that schedule. you know. So, um, And unfortunately it didn't work out. It's, it's nobody's fault. You know, those, those teams didn't they didn't duck us and we didn't duck them. It just, it was just the circumstances of this year. Um, but we're all competitors. We would have loved to have played it. And we hear people say how weak our schedule is or whatever. And, and uh, I don't like to talk about that because I, I have too much respect for the game to be disrespectful to the teams that we played. Um, I know this, a lot, a lot of the teams we played are every bit as good or better than the, than the crappy whack teams that we played when I was a player. I mean, so I mean, these numbers that our offense is putting up or Zach's putting up or whatever, I mean, don't don't discredit that, and especially if you want to be, compare him to quarterbacks of the past that we're playing against, you know, a bad UTEP team or, or whatever. I mean, the, he's 
the, Louisiana Tech had a lot of good players on that field, and so did Troy. And there was a lot of speed and good good athletes on that field that uh, the, the the WAC teams that I was a player when I was a player didn't have. They didn't have that kind of athleticism that that La Tech had, and you know, playing Navy very very similar to playing Air Force. Maybe you know, you could probably even say that recently Navy's been a little better than Air Force. And so you know, I think uh, I have a lot of respect for those guys and these teams that we've been playing, and it's been fun. I mean, Boise State, what a what a great program they are, and we uh, we had a good night against them. So yes, we wish we could have played those teams, but we didn't get that chance, and um, so we just have to. Uh, play the games that are in front of us, and then you know next season will be back to the back to the grind of of uh, trying to make it through those 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 difficult games back to back to back. That'll be that'll be a challenge we'll deal with next year. So Zach's stock, as far as NFL wise, according to these mock drafts, is just soaring. So for the sake of argument. Assume he does leave and goes into the NFL. I know uh, you're recruiting quarterbacks. There's one prominent here is talked about here locally of receiving a BYU offer and a bunch of other places. I know you can't address that, so I won't ask you, but we all know the kid's name anyway. Could you just give us this, this like a little insight into the handicapping of the quarterback competition going forward if, if Zach does go to the NFL? Yeah, um... We all, I guess everybody in the program is aware that that's a possibility. I don't, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion yet, but there's a chance he could, he could leave. And uh, if he does, it'll be with him. We'll all be cheering for him. Um, but we, we've got a really good room still. I mean, um, Baylor has taken all the number two reps this season and, and done, done very well when he's gotten his chance to play. We all saw what he did last year when he played. He, he went in there and did a great job for us. Uh, Jaron Hall... So a very good, very good football player. He's he's been dealing with an injury. Uh, it, it, it's not like a super serious thing, but he's been. Uh, that's why you guys haven't seen him out there. He's, but we just decided to use this season to just get him right physically. And so, I still have a lot of belief and hope in him. Uh, I think he's he's played very well when he's had his opportunities. He just had trouble staying healthy at, up to this point, and then. We've got two young quarterbacks in the program. Soljay Mayava as a really exciting guy, a playmaker. Different, little different style than the other guys, uh, but he can make plays. Uh, he's he's pretty fun to watch. Every time he goes in, we joke around that something exciting is about to happen and might be good, might be bad, but he's he's pretty exciting player. And uh, and then Jacob Carnahan joined us early. He was we were not expecting to get him until. Uh, January, but he's with the with the pandemic and everything, got his mission got cut short. He was just at home, and we found a way to fit him in this fall. So he's been getting bonus reps all all season. And uh, I think anybody that follows BYU football knows he was a very highly recruited player uh, that was offered by just about everybody. Uh, so that between those four guys, I think we'll be we'll be in good hands. Uh, if Zach decides to leave, and uh, there'll be a great competition there. They're really, really tight knit group, and they're they're already. I mean, it's already competition every day. I mean, they're not dumb. They know what's they know what's around the corner. 
Aaron Roderick, BYU passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Uh, everything is so different in 2020. Are you seeing NFL scouts the same way you used to? Are they reaching out to you by phone or text? How is this working? Because clearly you have a lot of guys you're interested in. Yeah, uh, so this year it's mostly been over the phone or Zoom or whatever. I've With the bye week, I've had uh, Zoom Zoom meetings uh shoot several of them I had one with uh i don't know how many nfl teams were on that call i had one with a couple teams yesterday and got two more lined up today where they're just teams just want to know more about zach more in depth and and, uh, and i'm happy to do it i mean it's, you know it's part of the job and i'm i uh i want to always want to promote our players and i'll do the same thing for other quarterbacks that earn that opportunity in the future so but yeah it's mostly been doing this year you want another game if you get it or just take it as it goes i'm sorry what was that if tom can add another game do you want it or you just take it as it goes and see what happens yeah we we would love to play i mean we're having so much fun playing football that nobody's nobody's uh we're not you know taking ourselves too seriously man we just we just like we're having so much fun playing football this year and it started with fall camp when we didn't even know if we were playing or who we were playing or anything. And we were just practicing out there. It was fall camp with literally zero drudgery. Everyone was just, sounds cheesy, but everyone was just thankful to be out there playing football. And we've just kind of had that attitude all season where we're just, Hey guys, we get to play this week. Let's go. And, and you see games getting canceled all over the place and teams that didn't even start playing until we'd already played six or seven games and, or eight games. I mean, I guess there's some teams that haven't played yet. We already have eight. And so we just love playing the game. And if there, if, if we get a phone call today that, that there's a game tomorrow, we'll show up. And that's kind of been our attitude. And uh, no one's thinking too much about down the road and can we get to this or can we get to that. It's just, hey, we got a game this week. Let's go have some fun and let's let it rip. And that's how we've been playing and we'll keep it up. He's Aaron Roderick, BYU Passing Game Coordinator and QB Coach. Aaron, we love having you on. Thanks for coming on, and we will talk to you again, hopefully sooner rather than later. Well, you love having me on, but I was told that I was like the eighth choice. Like, you couldn't get Kalani, and then you couldn't get somebody else, and you couldn't get somebody else. That's that's what I was told, and that I was like the backup, backup, backup plan. But I'm still happy to do it. We will give you the bat phone number, and you can just stop <laughs> reacting to what anybody else says, and you just call your guys, your DJ and PK, whenever you want. Yeah. Jake told me that. So you, you were like, we tried like eight other guys, and we finally settled on you. Yeah, so. give him the bad phone. He can never feel like this again. <laughs> well, that's just bull crap right there, man. That's like those crappy whack teams you were playing. That's just crappy comments right there. Yeah. No, you're number one in my heart always. That was the UTEP of radio scheduling right there. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. All right, Aaron Roderick, Brian Keel coming up next. Craig Bowlerjack at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker. Brian, good morning. Brian, are you there? You got us? I, I am. Can you hear me? Yes, we got you now. We got you now. Well, Brian, another W in the books. Are you surprised your Cougars dragged the Broncos up and down the field there in the third quarter? I was not expecting that. Um I I thought they would win. I said that last week, and um, but wow, I, I don't know. 
I don't know. Anybody could have expected that kind of a blowout. And, yeah, I know they, Boise wasn't at, at full power, but regardless, I mean, we beat the brakes off of them. No doubt about that. We had on Aaron Roderick, and he was talking about how this team has come together through three years of perseverance, gaining experience three years ago as freshmen, and here they are with the continuity and experience, and we're seeing it pay off. As someone who has a very vested interest in BYU, uh, what do you think the philosophy should be going forward? Because you want to have a program and you want to be good every year. Uh, do you uh, invest in young guys uh, to have this pay off? Or how do you balance trying to make sure, okay, it's nice this year, but I don't want to wait another three years before we have a really good season again? Yeah, I think um, it's a good question, and that's kind of the the balance that every coach tries to to find and and it's just kind of a, a an unknown really um because you know you can you can subscribe to one method and you really don't know if, if that was the the key to your success if there's other factors um i think ultimately what you do is you just you put the best players on the field um and i I've, I've always felt that way i've i've never been a guy that well, you got to play the older guys. Like I, I've just always been um, a fan of the, the the player who's the best should get the playing time um, or the lion's share of the playing time. And if if he's a freshman, he's a freshman. If he's a senior, he's a senior. Um, uh, and that that gives you the best chance to succeed week in and week out. And success is success just cures everything. Wins cures everything, and it, it improves every aspect of your program. So that's I mean. That's the way I see it. I think that's, I don't know. I would imagine that's hopefully their mentality as well, but who knows what their mentality is. But I, I think you put the best players on the field and, and then everything else should take care of itself. So now that they're 8 0 and they only got one game in a month and everything is opening up and they're ranked eighth in the country, I could have, of all the surprises this season, I think the thing that I absolutely won't even second-guess myself about being wrong about, is I never thought that BYU could get this much mileage out of eight wins against this schedule. At no point did I think 8-0 at this point, even though it was possible, did I think it would get them to number eight in the country. If you told me they were 15 or 20, I'd believe you, but eight just seems so high. So now, would you add another game, or do you think, hey, we're headed for a New Year's Six Bowl, why risk it? Yeah, that's it. I've been actually thinking about just personally that over the last couple of days. And it, it is that exactly how you describe it. It is a risk. You, I mean, you're, we're pretty much a lock for a New Year's Six Bowl as things are. Barring we stub our toe, and there's almost no chance we stub our toe in this next game. I say almost. Um, you still got to play the game. Um, you know, barring we stub our toe in the last game against SDSU, you know, we're, we're pretty much a lock for a New Year's Six. So the question is, do we risk that by adding a game? And it kind of goes back to a thing that I said last week. Um, what hat am I wearing? If the pure fan hat, it's probably no. It's not worth that risk because a New Year's Six does so much for our program and adding another game really doesn't change, doesn't really change our national um, hype that we've got right now and it doesn't really change our chances of getting the New Year's Six the chance of us making the playoff, I mean, it's—I it, mean, it's obviously a chance, but it's so slim. I don't know how how much in, improved another game 
adds, you know, goes from maybe 5% chance to 15% or 10%. I don't know what the chances are, but so yeah, from a fan standpoint, I don't think it is worth it. Um, from a player standpoint, yeah, I want to, this is one of the best teams we've had at least in 20 years and um, maybe longer than that. And so, you know, let's add uh, two more games. Let's get a full 12 game schedule and see what we can really do against legit teams, um, less powder puffs, more power, power fives. Um, that's how I see it as a player. And my guess is there's a lot of players on the team that feel the same way. You know, bring it on. So by the time when you were playing as a junior, you were somewhat of an NFL prospect. I don't know if it was a guarantee that you did end up playing in the NFL, but my point is you probably needed your junior and senior season to show NFL people that, yeah, I could play in this league to some extent. And what are your thoughts as far as guys, not obviously it's not BYU because they played a number of games, but just up the road a little bit. They're not playing any. And who knows how many they're going to play. And so some of these kids who get the opportunity to get themselves on film in front of NFL people are not getting that. And if that would have been your situation, how furious would have you have been? You know, that's one of the things that um, is just kind of on the sideline with this whole pandemic. And, and it's, I mean, we're, this is un, uncharted territory um, for the world. And everybody's just, there's no script. There's no guidebook. We're just kind of, as a society, as a world, as, a, as humankind, just kind of figuring things out as we go along. Um, but one of the things that's on the sideline is what you just said. Um, there's kids that have worked their entire lives for this chance. That is, it is a once in a lifetime chance to make it to the next, to make it to the big leagues. And, and in order to do it, you got to perform at the collegiate level. Um, you know, other sports, you can, there's other ways to get there. Um, but football, that's it. You got to, you got to go do it at the collegiate level. Um, and then that can get you there. And it's funny. I remember you, you talk about, you know, me making it to the NFL as a junior. I didn't really know. I, I wanted to do it. I didn't, it wasn't really apparent until kind of my senior year where it became apparent. But, um, I do remember a conversation is stuck in my mind forever um it, it was going into my junior year the the quarterback greatest quarterback who never was at BYU Ben Olsen um he was in town and he came over to our apartment I was roommates with Curtis Brown and we were sitting there chatting with Ben we hadn't seen him in a couple of years he transferred to UCLA after the mission et cetera, et cetera. right and I just I remember he said something and it just it just like was so profound and it, it was and it's so true and he said all it takes is one year and, you know, we were talking about getting to the next level. And he, he just said, he said something it's like, all it takes is one year. And I, that just stood out to me then. And I, I still remember it now. And if you look at these kids, um, that is, it, it is so true. You look at Zach Wilson this year, all it takes is one year. Um, you go and, and you put good product on tape, um, things are going to happen. So, yeah, for the guys up north, um, I feel bad for them. I hope that they get to play a lot of games this year, um, even as an opponent, you know, I, I hope they get that opportunity. And it's, it's just sad that so many kids across the country are missed out on that opportunity for all it takes is one year. And it's just, it is, it's one of the things that's unfortunate. So then the flip side of that is if that kid doesn't get to put stuff on tape and get drafted, that is really unfortunate for that kid. But then some undeserving kid, maybe on the other side of the country is going to slide into that spot because the NFL is still going to draft 230 players or whatever, you think some seventh-round pick is going to go, boy, I was lucky that conference didn't play this year. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely Somebody's right going to backdoor it. There's so many, you know, it's trade-offs. Well, what, a door closes for somebody, it's an opened window for somebody else. And, um, you know, it, it was tough for kids this year uh, that were undrafted. It was tough for them to make rosters without preseason games and with limited training camp. And so they kind of got the short end of the stick. And, and for veterans, you know, I was in the boat where I was competing against those kids. I was never a star. Um, I had to earn my spot every year I played and make the team. And, and so for guys in my shoes that are, are, are journeymen, you know, just hanging on year after year, um, this year was great because the young bucks had an uphill battle. You had a huge advantage over them to stay another year in the league. And so, yeah, there's trade-offs all around. And so it benefits those guys. It hurts other guys. And it's just a trade-off. When you were coming out of school, high school, I mean, obviously BYU was attractive and it was cool to go to BYU. And I'm not so sure with Utah going to the Pac-12 that it's been that way compared to your day. How much do you think this year helps reestablish that? That, I mean, that's what we've been talking about, how big this year. It's just, it is, there's no price tag that you can put on this, this hype that they're getting right now and, and an undefeated season and a New Year's Six Bowl, all that stuff. It's just invaluable. And, and you're exactly right. You know, BYU was the cream of the crop for 30 years, and Utah passed us up. Um, you know, just being frank, I, I hate to say it, but it is what happened. And um, and so you, in terms of recruiting, I mean, just look at local talent. A lot of the a lot of the big guys now go out of state, which didn't happen when I was coming out. And then a lot of the the big big time players that stay in state, they go to Utah. A lot of legacy BYU guys have gone to to Utah. Um, a lot of high profile LDS um, athletes have gone to Utah. Where in years past they always went to BYU. So those things have changed. Um, and you look at this year, and that, that's why this is just so critical, and that, that Boise win was so huge, um, is because it gives us a chance to flip that. And, you know, you finish, you finish the season in the top five. Um, that turns heads, and, and it, you know, this, this, this generation, that, that catches their attention, and it changes recruiting, it changes um, profile and upward mobility, and, and it gives us a chance to compete, which we haven't competed as well in state in the last 10 years. Brian Keel joining us, former BYU linebacker. We've been counting up NFL guys on the roster. You think it's uh, 6, 8, 10, 12? Not necessarily all going this year, but going over a two- or three-year span? Yeah, I think um, I think on the whole roster, um, you know, for, I think you're looking at at least eight guys um, and maybe up to a dozen. I mean, there's, you know, there's a couple offensive linemen who are NFL guys, uh, the quarterback, obviously. Um, I think there's a, a corner who's an NFL guy. Um, I think uh, there, there might be two linebackers who are, I think, uh, I think maybe even uh, the running back Algier, um, you know, he, that 86 yard touchdown run, he showed, he showed a second gear. I didn't know he had. Um, and he's, you know, he's a pretty complete back uh, in terms of finishing runs in between the tackles, his vision. Um, so, you know, he might get in that conversation. There's, there's a bunch of guys. Oh, and then tight ends. We got several tight ends. Um, Bushman, obviously, is an NFL guy. I, I think this Rex has, has got the potential to be a stud. Um, I mean, they're, they're, the roster is as loaded right now as I have seen it. How about your linebackers, man? You got to give some love to your position. 
I did. I said there's two of them. Um, at, you know, probably two. I think Isaiah has a chance. I think um, Will Gar's got a chance. Um, they're both very, very capable. So. All right, so as far as that, we talked about this with David Nixon the other day, and there was four linebackers from BYU who were making plays. They may have all even started uh, in the NFL this past week. Obviously, Van Noy and Warner headlined the uh, case, the story, but you've got Lange and uh, Taki Taki, and you played linebackers, so you know this very well. What does it take to make an NFL linebacker? So there's a, it's kind of a body type mentality combination. Um, you know, the body type is you're, you're two, 225 minimum, um, you know, upwards of 250. You got to be able to run. Um, you got to be, you got to love football. That's probably the biggest thing. You just love football. And, and if you look at the guys, you look at those four guys that you just mentioned, probably the biggest thing that they have in common is they freaking love football, every single one of them. Um, and they're all different players. They have different strengths and weaknesses and different skill sets. Um, and, and, you know, over the last 20 years, there's no position that BYU has done better at than linebacker for whatever reason. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is, is you, they're, they're at, at that position, you just you love the game of football. You love contact. You love hitting people. You love mixing it up. You love just everything about it. And, you know, that's it's kind of the, the heart and soul of what a football player is, is just the gritty linebacker. Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker, joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, when you say two linebackers, you're, I'm assuming you mean uh, Warner and Kafusi, or have I got the wrong guys? Say that in The two linebackers to the NFL. Which one specifically? Was it Warner? Uh, BYU? And, yeah, was it Warner and Kafusi? Uh, Wilgar. Oh, okay. And who'd be the other one? Kafusi. Kafusi, yeah. okay. Isaiah, Isaiah Kafusi, Peyton Wilgar. I think they're both NFL potential guys. All right. Brian, you're the man. Thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure, fellas. All right. Thanks for joining us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. PK, I've had to show as much discipline. I'm so distracted, I don't even have words. <laughs> right behind me, right behind me, putting out an awesome spread, Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. They've been bringing food in during the interview. And Yak, have I taken a bite? It has crushed every bit of my soul. Look at that egg salad sandwich. Does that not look awesome? Taste, yeah, let's do Taste of the Masters next. Let's get one of them in here. And then uh, Craig Bowlerjack at 9.05. They brought, this is, you know what this is right here? Masters potato chips. Yeah, it's a little early in the morning for chips, but I might make an exception. We'll do that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it is time for a taste of the Masters. This is a buffet. Bob Casper, Brian Taylor, you are too good. It's not bad, huh? Bob, you want to explain how this works? I'm going to sample the egg salad sandwich. Egg salad sandwich first. These are all traditional master's dishes. Yes. And now this year you can order them online if you're connected. If you're connected, if you're a patron, you can order a taste of the master's online. It's just it's just a simple egg salad, egg salad sandwich. sandwich. I like egg salad. I mean, how good is that? Yeah. Am I on here? Oh, okay, I'm good to go. Yeah, it's a DJ. Look, look at DJ just taking a bite. He's smiling. Just picture yourself right now in Amen Corner. And we'll keep talking watching while the, you're chewing. Watching the, your favorite player at the Masters. That's what people come for. Yep. We need to give them something to wash it down with. 
<laughs> He's going to be all choked I bring up. my own water. There you Good go. go. <laughs> got to cleanse the palate. There you go. <laughs> we got souvenir cups in there for you, too, brother. He's got one. I saw that right there. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Got the Masters, Masters logo. logo. The flag. Planted in Atlanta. Yep. Okay, so the pimento cheese. What's the deal with this? Describe this to people. It's, it's gross. It, actually, actually, <laughs> I don't mind sell it at right all. Before I take a bite, I don't mind it at all. It's it's that's just, not a ringing endorsement. It's just cheddar cheese and pimento and like mayonnaise and stuff like that. And it's a typical. It's like a typical dip or sandwich. That spread, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's kind of a yeah, yeah. paste or a yeah. spread. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go for it. Let's see what you think. It's an acquired taste. I, for one, not a fan. That's all right. Yeah. It's okay. Oh. It's fine. I was waiting for an explosion of flavor. <laughs> you know what? I have some friends that have done, that have come to the Masters before. Mm-hmm. They'll take the oh, pimento cheese. Oh, it is a little cheese. spicier now. Yeah. yeah. They'll take the pimento cheese, take one side of the bread off of that, take one side of the bread off of the off the egg salad, and put them together. Really? Yeah. That's Mix next level. Yeah. Hmm. Now, ideally, we'd talk a little golf with you guys right now. Yeah. But yeah. We've had rain all morning. Almost nothing's happened. Yeah, they just they just started playing. So Tony Finau's getting ready to tee off if he hasn't already. Here's interesting. Bryce, everybody wants to know how Bryson's going to do out there. So he hits it all the way down to wedge length on 10. He went off 10th tee and uh, had a wedge in on 10. That's pretty impressive. He didn't make birdie, though. And then he gets on the 11th tee and promptly snap hooks it into the trees and has to re-tee. So, you know, look, it's like I said, um, and I tweeted this out last night, in 12 rounds at Augusta for Bryson DeChambeau, he's broke par three times and he's only broke 70 once. So before you go, you know, custom tailor the size 52 regular jacket for the guy, let's, uh, let's, let's see how he does and see if he can have a couple of rounds under par. But, you know, distance is great. You put in the wrong spot at Augusta, you're going to be paying the price. So, I was watching some of the coverage Wednesday night, mm-hmm. and they strung together some press conference bites, other players getting asked about Correct. him. Now, there's a way you're supposed to talk in every sport, but there's definitely a way you're supposed to speak about other players in golf. Mm-hmm. And I felt like there was a little shade being thrown there. Is there a little, what's the relationship between Bryson DeChambeau and, and other guys on tour? Compare it to, say, the relationship with other guys in Tiger or other guys in Patrick Reed or other guys other guys who have big, well-defined personalities. Well, there is no relationship between other guys and Patrick Reed. He's kind yeah, of a okay. loner okay. all the way along. <laughs> um, but Bryson, um, you know, he's he's um, he plays with a lot of the guys. He'll play with Tiger. He'll play with Justin Thomas. You know, a lot of the guys. Bry- Bryson's more accepted. Um, and I think what they're saying about him mostly is that if he continues to do what he's doing, he's going to change the game, and you're going to see a lot of younger guys that are coming up through golf right now that are really going to start working out hard and developing a swing like he's got where you just hit it as hard as you can. And that's what the guys on tour say right now. If you're teaching your kid how to play golf and you want them to swing at it as hard as they can off the tee, so teach them distance. Hit it over all the problems. Yeah. Closer you get to the green, the better off you are. Better off Don't you are. Don't outthink the room. That's right. Well, as long as you can keep it on the golf course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the answer? Well, look, I, Louis, I wondered if, like, narrowing the fairways yeah. out at 3, 320, 340, 360, wherever they're going to hit it, narrowing the fairways, 
putting in some traps. Maybe even putting in, you know, the, the English pot bunkers. You'll put a lip on that trap, make it hard <laughs> to hit out of, right? Yeah. And so really put a penalty out there. Right. But does it really just come down to trees? Because when you say snap hooking in the trees, I, I know well, trees 11, are 90% air, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, but Bob's, Bob's dad, Billy Casper, his response to that was, so is chicken wire. So <laughs> 90% air. So I thought, I thought that was a good analogy. But no, look, I mean, on 11, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the border of the, of the uh, club. So he's... He's out of. He's basically out of play there. And so he he's had reloading. Re-tee. Yeah. So yeah. he's reloading. So you're talking about you know unless he found it and somehow were able to play it, but didn't look like it. They all reloaded. So I suppose you could take a mulligan. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, one Provision. of the things I saw. In, thank you. One of the things I saw in the in the previews is that uh, without the patrons there, mm-hmm. with no spectators on the right. course, that there are now areas. Safe areas you can bail out and hit to that you never could in the past. Yeah, it gives you better lines back into the green based on. So that's going to really change the course and change yeah. the tournament. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, look, Augusta, it does a better job than anyone of keeping them away from the where you should play it. But they're talking about like on 14. Does it take some conscience out of it so you don't feel like you might hit somebody if you do take that line? Maybe. But I think it's only a couple of exceptions. Most of the time, the, the patrons are out of the way. All right, you in a golf bringing you the Masters coverage here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone with Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper, Brian Taylor. Also brought to you by Mountain Supply, Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, Siegfried & Jensen, and get some guns and ammo. I'm, I'm borderline drooling in, <laughs> in the middle of that. Taste of the Masters. I guess you have to have a chip before we go. There you go. Cracking open the uh, Masters logoed chip bag. That's pretty uh-huh. good stuff. Yep. Oh, oh, this looks like uh, they... I've got a popular brand. Yes. There's a lot of... It's the same thing as... Uh, That's good on the radio, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is, huh? It looks like Lay's Crunch, crunch, crunch. crunch. Yeah. We've also got caramel corn for you. Okay, it, it is 9.01 in the morning. Hey, it's 11 o'clock Masters time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 11 o'clock somewhere. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for letting us share. Enjoy the Masters. All right. Taste of the Masters with Bob Casper, Brian Taylor. They will be here 6 to 9, right? 6 to 9 Saturday morning? Yes, sir. All right. DJ and PK coming up next. Craig Bolerjack, TV voice of the jazz.